blocking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're going to hear from a source I reference all the time on this podcast, on Twitter, and otherwise, the film room's Brett Coleman. We're going to go pick by pick. Brett's going to list the best trait of each prospect we drafted and how they can be beneficial in Miami schemes. We'll also assign some homework by giving you the best tape of each prospect so you can go look at them at their very best. All of that and more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. I want to kick this podcast off by using a couple of other resources I love, The Athletic and The Draft Network, and a couple of articles penned by two of my favorite writers in Ted Wynn of The Athletic and Joe Marino of The Draft Network. And we'll go ahead and start on The Athletic with Ted's film room, his 10 favorite scheme and player fits from the 2021 NFL Draft, not just talking about the best draft picks, but who fits into their new team and their new system and into their new surrounding cast the best. And number one, he has Trey Lance in San Francisco. I think we all kind of assumed that was coming based upon their move up in the draft and Kyle Shanahan's history with developing quarterbacks in that offensive system and how QB friendly it is. And Trey Lance has all the traits to take that offense and that team to the next level. Just please wait until 2024 so we can get our draft picks up there at the top of the draft and not the bottom. The number two player on his list is Jalen Waddell, the receiver out of Alabama, now with your Miami Dolphins. He lists his play style as a speed receiver with elite acceleration and exceptional play strength for his size. Heavy play action bootlegs and West Coast principles are the fit he has for this Dolphins offense and receiver. Says he loves Waddle's fit with the Dolphins, not just because of the scheme, and truthfully, we don't know what kind of scheme it's going to be, he writes, with new coordinators Eric Studisville and George Gotze, but he loves the fit because of what Waddle could do for quarterback. Tua Tungavailoa, and he talks about the wider windows in the intermediate to deep portions of the field, creating more opportunities and less hesitation in this Dolphins offense to attack vertically. He also says that he creates, Waddle does, more separation than any receiver he scouted in recent memory, and he does it in a hurry, Ted writes. His ability to accelerate and maintain speed on his cuts is uncanny. And he writes about an instant deep threat here for Tunga Vailoa, but who can also help him creating separation on the horizontal routes like digs or crossing routes. And the hope is that bigger windows Waddle will create could encourage the Dolphins offense and Tua to be more aggressive throwing the football down the field. And also, oh, by the way, they go out and they get Will Fuller to complement that as well. How about the draft network piece? We go to one end of the draft with the number six pick in the draft, all the way to pick 241 with Jared Dokes, who leads off Joe Marino's piece titled Marino's Top 5 Sleepers from 2021 NFL Draft and who is on there first but Jared Dokes. He says he loves the Dolphins didn't panic when it comes to the running back position but instead prioritized more meaningful positions with early draft capital and he continues on talking about the production of fellow 7th round draft pick Miles Gaskin but also how Dokes is a good compliment because of his powerful downhill running style that has angry runs attached to it and explosive into contact with good vision and contact balance. He also notes his terrific pass protection and a capable receiver in that Cincinnati offense. So Joe Marino, a big fan of the last draft pick for the Miami Dolphins, 244 overall, and Ted Wynn, a big fan of the first pick, number six overall, in Jalen Waddell for your Miami Dolphins. 
And with that, I want to welcome in my guest today. I talk about him all the time on the podcast, referencing his great work he does. He's the creator of The Film Room on YouTube. You can subscribe to that channel. You can also hear him via the podcast airwaves on the Bootleg Football Podcast with his co-host, E.J. Snyder. He's Brett Coleman. Brett, here we go again, man. How the hell are you? I'm, I'm doing great. Even though I'm not a Dolphins fan, I was absolutely psyched to see what they came away with in the draft uh, pick after pick after pick. If you were following <laughs> me on Twitter, every single time the dolphins picked, I was just like, man, that's great. That's just value, value, <laughs> value. Uh, I, I loved everything they did. Well, I mean, we talked this off season a little bit and I, I do like, I have some uh, sympathy for what you're going through as a lifelong Texans fan, but I mean, you've been talking about jump and ship for a while now, man, like join us. I, you know, I, I, I was halfway a Bears fan because my dad lived in Chicago. So I've, you know, passively rooted for the Bears and kind of jumped full on over to the Bears this offseason. But I'm looking for a new AFC team. And uh, I, I'll tell you what, the future is bright for the Dolphins. So if I can get in, not at the ground floor, the ground floor was a couple of years ago. If I can get in, you know, second or third floor and ride this all the way up to the 80th, I think I'll be okay. Well, at least you've got Justin Fields there in Chicago, hopefully. And I, I talked about this on draft night. I am rooting so hard for that whole quarterback woes in Chicago to go by the boards, especially if they're going to give us the Bears four or five times a year in primetime. Let's get a competitive team on that NBC and NFL Network and ESPN broadcast. But that's neither here nor there. I do want to touch on a couple things before we get into the football here because, Brett, every video you make, you make me thirsty and then you make me hungry on Twitter with that <laughs> post-draft meal you posted, man. Like, I wasn't sure if you made that or if that was a restaurant. What was that? So that was at a place that we just re- we were looking for a place to eat, uh, and I found it on on a Open Table. It's a place called Wood and Vine over or Wood and Vine over in L.A. Uh, I live you know in the L.A. area, and uh, they had only been open for three days. They were closed down during the entire last year for obvious reasons, and it was one of the best meals I've ever had. Thirty two ounce perfectly cooked ribeye. Uh, you know, smoked garlic, mashed potatoes, these great like chili, honey, Brussels sprout. It was phenomenal. So I posted that on Twitter because I was like, I, I need people to see this place and go <laughs> here because I, I never want them to close again. It was amazing. This is a man who lives his best life. I, I think it was maybe it was when the pandemic was cooling down after the first wave or something. And you had gone to an outdoor event where Bill Burr pops in and did a set for you. What was that like? I mean, it was amazing. Because it was just these little, you know, impromptu comedy shows in a parking lot behind uh, a barber shop because all these comedians hadn't been able to do a show in months and they were rusty. And so they were just bringing in random people that just wanted to do a set to keep fresh. And Bill Burr happened to be one of them. And this was like a $10 ticket, you know, like this is a small dinky show with like 15, 20 people in the audience. And he just randomly rolled up, you know, started doing his... uh, Bill Burr uh, type improvisation yep. for the people that were yelling at him from a taco truck across the street. It was it was great. It was one of the best comedy shows I've ever seen. I listen to the Monday morning podcast every single week. I listen to his Bill Burt podcast with Burt Kreischer. He's one of the funniest men alive, and he's also one of the most uh, notorious or infamous, I don't know how to put it, uh, bourbon drinkers, but he stepped away since then. But man, I talked about you making me thirsty on the YouTube channel. Those those video shoots you do of the drinks and the the concoction as it is, they always look so delicious, man. Like, have you always had that passion for uh, spirits? 
I, I've always loved whiskey and I, I try to get a little bit into mezcal and I'm trying to get into rum as well, but whiskey has always been very close to my heart. And, you know, when I started going on camera with these videos, I wanted to, you know, kind of show a little bit more of myself and whiskey was always something that kind of calmed my nerves a little bit for being on camera. Cause that was not something that I, I really wanted to do at first, but I knew I had to. <laughs> uh, and you know, the whiskey was there to calm my nerves and it's also just something I love. And it, over time that whiskey became part of the channel, part of the brand and, you know, fans love it when I, you know, throw a new drink in there that maybe they've never had before, never made before. And, you know, you, you get to have a nice little cocktail, get to talk some football. And I, I think it's a format that works for me. It's the film room on YouTube. Go check it out. He has a phenomenal Jalen Phillips video. We're going to talk about him here in just one second. And as you can tell, the man loves the Dolphins draft class. I just have to mention how funny it is to me that you were nervous about going on camera since that's what you do for a living. Now, when I first started doing podcasts, Brett, I was afraid. I hated the sound of my own voice. And now here I am hosting Dolphins draft parties in front of 6,000 Dolphins fans at Hard Rock Stadium. Like it's, it's crazy how it works. Like I think your biggest insecurity is something you work on and it turns into a strength. It certainly has for you, man. I love the channel. I love the resource. I talk to you about it all the time. It's some of the best content out there. So let's go ahead and finish up before we get into the football here with your mock draft. I saw some of the people talking about their scores on Huddle and Josh Norris had like a batting average of 1,000%. How did your mock draft go this year? You know, it's interesting. I, I didn't get a, a score on that because I never like submitted it for review or anything like that. And, and my mock draft is a little bit different where I focus more on what would I do sure. if I was a general manager versus trying to predict picks. And I ended up getting some guys in the first round that almost nobody else had in the first round just because I went off my own grades uh, like Joe Tryon and Peyton Turner uh, towards the end of the first round, I had them as the 31 and 32nd overall pick. And then, you know, Joe Tryon went 32. Peyton Turner went a few picks before that at 28 to the Saints. And, you know, a lot of people were like, what's what is this? Why? Why are <laughs> why are you putting them in your mock draft? And then they go in the top 32 picks a few days later. And I'm like, well, I, I put them in my mock draft because they're really good players. That's why I did it. Um, but you know, there were, there was a lot of picks that I accidentally got correct. Like I put Trey Lance at number three to the 49ers because, uh, I felt I, ironically the pick that the dolphins traded away to the 49ers. Uh, you know, I put Trey Lance there cause I felt that he was worth the pick. And then I, I didn't want to buy into the whole, you know, we're, we're taking the Alabama kid at three. Cause I, I, that just wasn't my grades and I stuck true to my grades and ended up getting that one right. Uh, I stuck true to my grades and got Jamar Chase to the Bengals over Penny Sewell. There was a lot of disagreement there, but oddly enough, just me sticking to my own grades uh, ended up getting a few picks right. And by the way, a lot of Dolphins fans were wondering, why are we taking J Jalen Phillips at 18? I personally had him at, at, at uh, 11 to the Giants. So for me, that was actually a pretty big value. Oh man, the steal, steal the first round perhaps there as far as him falling to the 18th pick of the draft, first defensive end off the board there. And I think it's great that you provide that that look at the at the mock draft process because you know you're a film guy, you're a guy that knows how these players work and how they operate. So do it that way. Let the insiders, like Peter Schrager's of the world, for instance, do the here's what I'm hearing mock draft. I think there's place for both of them. And with that, I want to get into our podcast here where I want to go down each player picked by the Dolphins and talk about their best trait, how it fits into the Dolphins' scheme, and their best tape you can give the fans to go watch. Does that work for you, Brett Coleman? 
Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's start with Jalen Waddle, number six pick in the draft, the number two receiver off the board. What is his best trait in your opinion? It's the ability to separate quickly. And, you know, you and I were talking about this months and months and months ago uh, on another drive time where I said with the offense that the Dolphins want to run, it is getting the ball out quick with Tua. Like Tua is at his best when he is working the quick game, working RPOs. If you want to take a shot deep, it's, you know, three steps, let it fly down the boundary. So in terms of, oh, should we take a tackle? Should we take a receiver? When your offense is getting the ball out that quickly anyway, and you're taking a lot of three-step drops, tackle, it's still important, but it's not as important as getting guys that can separate within that two-and-a-half-second window. And, you know, it's nice to have great protection, but if nobody's getting open in under three seconds anyway, who cares, you know? So I think the Dolphins made the right pick. It, it could have been Waddle. It could have been Devontae Smith. I didn't really care either way because they both do the same thing, and that's just get open. So I know a lot of people maybe wanted Sewell, but I think a package of Jalen Waddle and Liam Eikenberg is vastly preferable to a package of Penny Sewell and whatever receiver they would have taken in the second round. I think they made the right move that fits their offense and most importantly, makes Tua comfortable. Absolutely. I think Elijah Moore might have been the possible selection in that second round to fill out that group, but he went off the board before Miami could pick at 36. So you would have kind of missed on that one. Maybe it's Rondale Moore. I'm not sure who it might have been, but I agree with you that Waddle gives you that instant explosion, the instant offense. And do you think he can contribute in a big way right away? Oh, absolutely. Whether it's special teams, whether it's as a slot receiver. And remember, he's a, a very good route runner as well. He's not just you know, one of these gimmicky slot receivers where we can only get in the ball on screens. Like he is a legitimately good route runner. So you can maybe play him a little bit outside at Z as well. We haven't really seen him go up against press coverage before. I'm not saying he can't do it. We just haven't really seen it because Bama didn't use him that way, but he's got legitimate speed so he can threaten uh, down, downfield, down the boundary. But I think just putting him in the slot, you know, letting him absolutely eviscerate people with two-way goes inside. <laughs> and I, I think that's probably the best way to use him. And plus from the slot, it's easier to give him carries. It's easier to give him screens, all that kind of stuff. Like his best way to generate explosive plays is either in the slot or as a return man. And I expect he's going to see a lot of action there. I don't think I've been this excited about a Dolphins season since, and this is a bad example because they finished that year six and 10, but the 2006 season, we started the year on the Sports Illustrated cover as a possible Super Bowl pick with Dante Culpepper. It didn't go that way, but that was very exciting time for the Dolphins in that summer. I feel similarly this year, but even better in a sense. So Jalen Wall is a big part of that. If you had to give the fans a best tape to go watch of this kid to really get excited about him, which game would that be? It's hard not to say the Auburn game from a few years ago where, you know, he was the fourth receiver. It was Judy. It was Ruggs. It was Devontae Smith, who was the de facto number one, even though Judy and Ruggs were seen as the, the high end draft prospects. But Jalen Waddle was the wide receiver four on that team. And he scored four touchdowns pretty much every time <laughs> he touched the ball. He scored. It was as a return man, as a runner receiver, like everything, just getting him the ball was an explosive play waiting to happen. And that is the tape. If you only watch one game of Jalen Waddle to understand why he went at six overall, watch that game. 
and he showed you some of the traits that he's been showing his entire career at Alabama. The sudden, quick stop, start ability. Man, he's fun to watch. And Brett had referenced a player going off the board at number 18 to Miami, who he had pegged for the 11th pick in the draft in Jalen Phillips. I've shared the YouTube video many, many times about who the best pass rush prospect in this year's class is, and you compared him to a couple of the Watt brothers. Jalen Phillips, this guy's best trait, in your estimation, Brett, is... It's it's versatility, you know. It's it's the fact that he has explosiveness, he has power, he has length, he has fluidity. There's so many pass rushers that come out these days where, you know, they're lightning quick off the edge, but they don't have length or power. So if they're going up against a really quick-footed tackle, they don't really have a way to to do a counter punch and and win in another way. You know, the Georgia kid coming out this year was a good example of that. Caleb on Chase on the year before. You know, they were really good speed rushers, but they didn't really have another club in the bag that they could turn to. You look at Jalen Phillips and he's got that speed around the edge. He has the ability to bend, but he also has a wicked inside counter. He's got power. He plays the run very, very well. He's very instinctive, super high motor player. And you look at like his relative athletic score. Like he is a freak athlete. It's not quite like a Chase Young type freakiness, but it's not that far off either. And the fact that he has a very complete physical profile, the fact that he can win in multiple ways, that to me is more valuable than anything because it means that it's very hard to game plan for him. It's very hard to know exactly what he's going to do on a snap to snap basis. He can keep tackles on their toes. And I think that's why they took him is because this is a team that wants to be able to generate pressure in more ways than just calling zero. They want to be able to rush four if they need to rush four, because that's how you, you know, it's been proven to beat some of the other teams they have to go through in the AFC, like Kansas city. You got to be able to win with four. You can't just generate pressure with blitzes. And that's why they took Jalen Phillips is so that they can now actually rush with four and still get to the quarterback. Yeah, the opportunities he could create for Emmanuel Ogba on the other side or vice versa could be very beneficial. I also think you kind of see some of that, Brett, in terms of the four-man rush with the shift at the safety position, who we're going to talk about here in just one second, and the release of Bobby McCain, who had a great career here in Miami. He has since moved on, but maybe the Dolphins have more flexibility in terms of who's going to be the free safety, who's going to be the box safety, who's going to rotate and blitz and all that fun stuff. But I want to come back to this with Jalen Phillips. You know, you talked about his athletic traits. He was the number one player coming out of high school a few years back out of the state of California, above Najee Harris and Cam Akers. And you also had a great comment in the video, Brett, where you talked about his ability to take information throughout the course of the game, find out what the tackles are doing to beat him, and then use those tendencies against those tackles to beat them later in the game. Can you talk more about that and just what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, you saw that in uh, in the Clemson game. He was going up against the Clemson right tackle. I think his last name is McFadden, who's got just a wicked inside punch, really, really quick, really strong. And it was kind of uh, – it was giving him some problems in that Clemson game because he was having trouble kind of judging the distance for when to hit that swipe move. And so he would get caught with that inside punch before he could land the swipe and his whole rush would get shut down. And so then he kind of switched it up you know, one, one drive later, basically, where he would lead with a long arm just to kind of give him a good distance measurement that he could really rely on. And then as soon as he would make contact with that long arm and he would know that the outside hand was coming, then he would hit the swipe and finish around the edge. So he recognized what was beating him 
and how he could beat that inside punch, which was using, a, they call it a, a long, one arm is longer than two principles. Defensive line coaches call it that, where if you just kind of angle your shoulder and you, you really reach with one arm, there's nothing a tackle can do to outreach you, let alone when you have 34 inch arms. <laughs> so it, it was a, it was a perfect, you know, kind of counter to what was beating him. And that to me showed that he really knows what he's doing. And it shows that he doesn't rely on just one thing to win. He can do a variety of things to win. And that's really the mark of a great pass rusher in the NFL is variety and versatility. I have to imagine that's what had Coach Flores very excited in the draft room once again for the second straight year after taking a defensive lineman. Last year it was Raekwon Davis. This year it's Jalen Phillips. What's his best tape this in his career, Brett? Uh, I mean, it's hard not to say the Virginia Tech game where uh, other than the Clemson game, he was showing you know versatility. He was showing the ability to adjust to tackles mid-game. He had their heads spinning with inside moves, outside moves. They, they had no idea what he was going to throw on a snap-to-snap basis. So, again, watch that Virginia Tech game. Uh, it's probably the best example of his talent. And, by the way, added bonus for him as a new Miami Dolphin, he loves the 305. He loves Miami. I think he wants to, to play hard for the Dolphins. And he ended up where he wanted to be, which for a player transitioning to the NFL is crucial. He doesn't really have to change his life that much. He can just focus entirely on football in a city that he loves with fans that he already loves. Uh, I, I think he's probably got one of the inside tracks to defensive rookie of the year just because he can hit the ground running from that. Absolutely. He said after the draft that Southern California made him the 305 saved him. I love that quote from Jalen Phillips. And like you mentioned, I think that Vautech game, it was two or two and a half sacks, four and a half tackles for loss. And even that felt like it was underselling his performance because he was so disruptive in that game. It's so much fun to watch. Let's move on to day two here. And we kind of teased it there in the previous segment, talking about Javon Holland out of Oregon. And I get a feeling, Brett, this guy might be your favorite of the bunch. What's his best trait? His best trait is the fact that he can basically be anything from a rangy center field safety to a nickel corner. And I was thinking about it because he, he was in my tier one of safeties along with Trayvon Merrick, Tyree Gillespie and Andre Cisco, but he was just a different kind of safety to me. And I was thinking after the, after the pick got made, I was like, man, how's Brian Flores going to use him? Because they already have, um, you know, Eric Rowe, who was their matchup guy for tight ends. And at the time they had Bobby McCain, who was a good you know, center fielding free safety. They had Noah who plays in the slot. They had Justin Coleman who plays in the slot. I was like, where are they going to use him? And then it occurred to me, I was like, wait a minute, Brian Flores already had Devin McCourty for years. They're going to use him exactly like Devin McCourty, which is to say, based on the game plan, every single week, he's going to have a job. Either he's going to be down low playing in the nickel or he'll play, you know, super deep as a free safety, which I think the Bobby McCain release today probably signals they want more of that out of him. But he is a matchup weapon for them because he can do either thing. And I think he's a better true free safety than Eric Rowe would be. He's a better true free safety than uh, maybe Brandon Jones would be even. And I'm a big fan of Brandon Jones as well. So he is going to be their Devin McCourty because he has almost an identical skill set. And uh, I think Brian Flores chose him for that reason is because he wanted a guy with that kind of flexibility. So when he's moving around the formation and he comes down, let's say he is playing that single high look or, or whatever it might be. And he, he kicks down inside, like who is the next best option on the roster to play that position and kind of fill his void when he comes out of that spot. 
I mean, I would have said Bobby McCain, yeah, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would I would probably say at this point Brandon Jones is is my best guess because I, I think Brandon Jones also has some range to him. Um, he's kind of a diet version of Javon Holland, in in my opinion. Like if I had to choose one of the two to start, well, it kind of depends on how fast Holland picks up the defense because it's not like you know Flores is running something simple out there. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if like by Halloween. Javon's the starting free safety, Eric Rose, the starting strong safety, or potentially a, a, a kind of weird hybrid time linebacker. I'm not entirely sure yet. Either way, he'll be the tight end guy. And then if they go like three safeties on the field, maybe Brandon Jones can, can hop in. It's very intriguing. And that's the thing is the, the Bobby McCain release kind of throws a, a monkey wrench does, in yeah. there because I, I thought I knew what they were going to do. And now I don't quite know what they're going to do, but just based on what I know from Javon Holland at Oregon and what I know from how, you know, Flores used Devin McCourty in new England, those two things kind of connect the dots for me. I'm excited for that big nickel package where it's Jones and Xavier Howard on the outside and the three big safeties with, with another Jones. And then like you mentioned, Eric Rowe, as well as Javon Holland, if you had to give the fans his best tape to watch in his career, didn't play this past season, was an opt out, but 2018, 2019, what's the best organ tape to watch for Javon Holland? You know, I think it was the Utah game uh, a couple years ago, if I remember correctly. And this one's interesting because this, this was really sending alarm bells where it's like, man, that's a, that's a Devin McCourty type play. And uh, I would watch it just for this play that he makes, which is pure instinct. And I guarantee you Flo sat up in his chair and said, give me that dude. When he saw this play, (laughs) he's playing outside leverage on the slot and uh, the receiver run, they're running two benders over the middle. And so he's like low shoulder outside leverage. And he comes off of his guy when he's reading the throw, going to the other bender on the other side leaves his receiver completely lays out like he's a shortstop trying to catch a line drive and breaks up the bender on the other side <laughs> from the other <laughs> receiver. Somebody wasn't even responsible for covering. And I was like that, they you don't even teach that. Like every DB coach in the league would be like, that's not how we draw it up, but whatever a PBU is a PBU. That's the play that I think got Javon Holland drafted by the dolphins. That was the PAC 12 championship game. I think it was, wasn't it? I think so. I'm trying to remember if that's the same game that Thibodeau absolutely went off and <laughs> yes. demolished Utah. I think that was the same game. Thibodeau, oh man, you want to talk about a prospect. We'll save him for next year. He's he's, he's the number one player on the board going into next year, hands down. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about another player that I know you like. The Dolphins trade up from 50 to 42 to snag, who is presumably right now at the moment their starting right tackle. You would think he can compete for that job. Of course, Miami is now suddenly deep along the offensive line, but Liam Eichenberg, What's his best trait, Brett? Uh, I would say it's hand usage for him. You know, he's not the biggest guy, not the most explosive, but he's got really good balance and really good hands. And for, I think they got him in the second round, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, pick 42. You know, that that's about where I thought he would and should go. Again, not super athletic, not super long or anything like that. But the fact that he knows how to use his hands and he knows how to play with a good base and good balance, which in the end, we've seen a lot of very athletic tackles with tons of length that don't know how to use it, wash out of the league. The fact that Eicherberg is coming into the NFL with a very good uh, technical foundation means that I think he's going to be successful. And again, for a second round 
tackle that is probably going to start day one on the right side because you're kicking Robert Hunt into guard. I don't know if he's playing left guard or right guard, but I know they're kicking him inside. Um, that to me was a, a a pick very well spent. And for an offense that wants to get the ball out in less than two and a half seconds, he's got the technical foundation to hold up at least for that long. So again, I, I really, really like the pick. Yeah, he made a career at Notre Dame of kind of working tackles around the, I guess, the top of the drop of the quarterback there with Ian Book and kept him protected without a sack allowed in two years. You and I spoke about his resume off air because that two years with no sacks allowed featured games against Bama and Clemson and all these powerhouse programs and good pass rushers. Which one is the best tape of the, of the bunch for Liam Eikenberg? I would probably say uh, when he went up against Rashad Weaver from Pitt this past year, because neither one of those guys are incredible athletes. And so when they win, they both win with technique. And so you, you saw him really have to uh, battle somebody else that has great hand usage, great leverage. Um, and it, it kind of put him into the test because Liam's always been a guy that beat freak athletes by having just better technique than them, whether it was the Bama guys or, uh, you know, the Clemson guys or anything like that. Like he's, he's always, you know, he, he wasn't allowing a whole lot of pressures because he just had such good technique. And so going up against an equal technician that was also going to be playing on Sundays was a fascinating battle. And, you know, Rashad, Rashad gave him the business on a few snaps, but Liam overall, I felt won that battle. And also remember when you're watching uh, Pitt's D line, which was just very, very talented in general. And you see the kind of movement that he was generating on double teams with banks right next to him. Uh, it shows what kind of run blocker he is as well. So if you want to, if you want to watch him go up against somebody that has NFL level technique, not just NFL level athleticism, uh, go watch that pick game against Rashad Weaver. Who's also going to get a lot of snaps as a rookie. So before we get into the fifth or the third round here in the fifth pick for the dolphins and Hunter long, do you think each of those four guys qualifies enough snaps to be considered first year starters? Oh, easily, easily, especially with the, I was a little bit worried about Holland just because they had Bobby McCain. Yep. Uh, but now that McCain's gone, I feel like Holland as their best true center fielder left on the roster is going to get a lot of snaps just for that alone. Jalen Phillips is obviously going to start Jalen Waddle, obviously start. And then Liam Eikenberg uh, with hunt moving inside to guard is probably their best option at right tackle now as well. So it's very plausible that they got starter, 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 back to back to back to back, which is very, very rare for a draft class. And that's why you see Miami getting so many positive grades around the draft landscape, but a position that all of a sudden has a lot of depth to it is where Miami goes in the third round with Boston College's Hunter Long. And Coach Flores had a great, just a, a wide ear-to-ear grin about how we have to get a Boston College player because they're tough, smart, physical team first guys. Just listed off all the traits that he basically learned himself as a prep and then also at Boston College as a college football player. Hunter Long, what is his best trait for you? Uh, I would say ball skills. You know, I, he's not uh, as explosive as Gisecki, but I think he was one of the best uh, contested catch tight ends in this class. And so, you know, knock on wood, if Gasicki goes down, you have another guy that can come in and still do a lot of work in the red zone. Uh, he's a very capable blocker. Uh, is he a super explosive athlete? No. That's why he went in the third round compared to some of the tight ends that went ahead of him, like Fryermuth and obviously Pitts. But um, I, I, he's very good at just understanding leverage, finding ways to get open. You know, he's going to be 
it's it's going to be like third, no no pun intended, third and long, <laughs> and he's going to be able to like just find a hole in the zone, sit down, and just be a reliable receiver for Tua. Whereas Gusecki is more of like the oh my god, I can't just believe he made that catch kind of tight end. Yeah. Hunter Long is the when did he get six catches tight end? Like you're not going to realize that he's going to pile up stats, but he will just like he did at BC, just sitting in the hole, being reliable, get him work in the red zone. He'll never blow you away, but you're going to look up at the end of the year and he'll have like 50 or 60 catches and you won't remember a single one, but they're all going to be important. <laughs> a stat to your point, he had 11 contested catches last year, which was third among all tight ends, according to pro football focus. If you had to highlight one tape for Hunter long to go back and watch, which one would it be? Oh man. Um, you know, the, the BC quarterback Jerkovich, uh, who's also very, very talented, wildly inconsistent, but very, very talented. Uh, you, you could see in the few games, uh, the Virginia game, uh, the North Carolina game where pretty much any time he was in trouble, he was throwing it to Hunter Long cause he knew he would catch it. And that's Hunter Long's role. Again, it's sit down, be a check down, make a catch, rescue plays that shouldn't work and make them work. And so I think if you watch the Virginia game and the UNC game, uh, you'll, you'll definitely see that quality to him kind of like like um again i don't want to compare him to a hall of famer but like later stage career jason witten where athletically speaking there was no way he should have gotten open as much as he did but just the fact that he understood coverages so well and he had such good hands he would still end up with a lot of catches at the end of the year watch the virginia game and the north carolina game uh, and maybe even the pit game as well and that'll kind of give you a, a a good understanding of what he is as a prospect Help me with a little bit of a hole in my scouting and my own process here, Brett, because I noticed one thing that he did a lot was when he kind of approaches the point of contact into the route, like when he's in the stem, he has this little subtle move he does where he gets his arm over the like extended arms of the defensive back and it helps him like slingshot and create leverage that way. Do you know what I'm talking about? And what is that called? Yeah, it's almost, I mean, it's very similar to what they call a slingshot technique, ironically enough, for a corner where it's about creating contact so that you can it's it's one thing to like read a player with your eyes but if you can feel a player you can feel his little weight shifts or or possibly influence those little uh, subtle shifts in body weight with your own hands um you know some coaches also call it a shoulder ride technique but that's a little bit different it's the fact that you can feel a defender you can feel how they move and in your brain you respond to that quicker than visual information. You respond to touch faster. And so if you can feel just a little tiny minute shift in body weight, you'll know exactly when to plant and go. And again, I, I think he's a very physical tight end because he, he feels defenders so that he knows when to work against their leverage. And that's why even though he's not super athletic, he does get open a lot is because he knows exactly when to cut and how to cut. Brett Coleman, The Film Room on YouTube. Subscribe to that channel right now. Follow him at Brett Coleman on Twitter and social. And I won't ask you to give me the best game tape and all that fun stuff from the two seventh round guys. We had a 150 pick wait. That was the longest wait between picks in Dolphins franchise history. But Larnell Coleman out of UMass, Jared Dokes out of Cincinnati. Give us your quick, uh, just rundown on those two guys if you can real quick. Uh, well, full disclosure, I did not get to watch uh, Coleman because Massachusetts tape Shocker, I know, is a little bit hard to come by, but uh, the Dolphins have better resources than me on that one, so I'll trust them. Uh, and then Dokes, I did watch, and his main thing that I really like was pass protection. Uh, I don't necessarily see him as a super dynamic runner, but if you throw him in there on third down, 
uh, as a pass protector, I think he's going to be really reliable. Uh, you know, if you're just doing like check releases and stuff like that, again, you're not asking him to, to do a whole lot. Uh, but I think Tua will appreciate him because you can actually rely on him to stop a linebacker dead in his tracks on third down, which in itself is a valuable skill set. Absolutely it is. And I talk about the film room channel on YouTube. And one of the perks of your job and being self-employed, Brett, is that you get to go around the, the National Football League landscape and go to several games every year. I know last year probably didn't work out that way for you, but you've got the schedule cranking out this year. Are we going to be on your stop list at all down here in South Florida? And can I take you to get a, a nice glass of bourbon together sometime on Saturday night? I definitely want to. You know, I have a few games circled on the calendar, and ironically, most of them involve the AFC East. Uh, I'm fingers crossed that uh, that the Jets and the Dolphins play in Miami sometime after Halloween. That would be perfect for me to catch the best part of Miami weather. You know, I get to avoid the lightning and the rains and stuff like that. Uh, I I would absolutely love that. Either way, anytime like November, December, if I can get down to Miami for a game, I would love that. And I'll show you around South Florida. I don't know the area that well yet, but I know it enough to take you to a couple of spots where we can get uh, get nice and loose and have a good time and talk some football. Maybe watch some college football on a Saturday night. Brett Coleman, The Film Room, The Bootleg Football Podcast. What are you working on now, man? Vacation time? And also, correct me if I got your social handles wrong earlier. No, no, you're good. Uh, I, In terms of what I'm working on now, I'm kind of doing a, well, about to do a division-by-division breakdown of every single you know, draft pick, free agency pickup, UDFA, coaching change. It's it's kind of a series that I do every summer on my podcast uh, where I, I, I give a whole entire landscape of what the NFL looks like, team by team, division by division. And then over on the film room, uh, I'm working on a few very, very large projects. So there's nothing coming out for the rest of May, but in June and into July, uh, I'm doing uh, some kind of big breakdowns on the Vic Fangio slash Brandon Staley defense. Uh, I'm looking at how Justin Fields is going to transition from Ohio State to Matt Nagy's uh, defense. And then I'm I'm thinking about kind of trying to decipher what the Jaguars are going to do um, with combining Ohio State's offense under Urban Meyer, who I happen to have their playbook under Urban, and then Daryl Bevel's offense when I have Bevel's playbook. So I'm going to I'm going to kind of go through both of those as well as, you know, what Trevor was good at at Clemson and try to throw them all together in one video and uh, figure out what the Jaguars are going to be trying to do on offense. So I, I, we'll see. It might be very, very long, but we'll see how that goes. Well, it sounds good, man. I know, as always, it'll be very well produced and very well put together. And we'll look forward to that Tua sophomore season breakout video right around week eight or nine. Sound good? Sounds good to me. I can't <laughs> wait. All right, Brett. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Brett Coleman, The Film Room, The Bootleg Podcast. And, of course, at Brett Coleman, it's two L's and two N's on social media. Brett, thanks again, man. And away he goes. Fun podcast every time we get Brett on the show here, full of information, film, and I always learn something about the game when I talk to Brett. In the meantime, that's going to be our time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We're going to read some of those reviews in a podcast here coming up. We also have Dolphins long snapper Blake Ferguson on the podcast. He's going to be coming up here shortly as well. Go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com, where all the written profiles on these Dolphins draft, uh, drafted players in 2021 are available. MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.